Hi, this is Chris Lester, the creator of The Raven and the Writing Desk, and you're listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey there, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. Welcome to episode 37 of The Melting Podcast. I am Erin Kazmark, your grill mistress. Erin, you sound funny. You sound funnier. That's because I'm sick. I, I'm sick first. Okay. I'm your head chef, AF Grappin, and yeah, we're both sick. Uh, seasonal colds are fun. Don't what? worry, we didn't sneeze in the food. Yeah, well, speak for yourself. Ew. I sneezed in my food. Oh, okay. Well, it was well, fine. That's fine then. Yeah, it was fine. This is fine. It was seasoning. A little seasoning? No, it was a lot. Oh, ew. Yeah. But considering we're sick, doing a full episode is really, really tough. Pretty tough, yeah. So I think it's time that we introduce something new. How's that sound? A new thing? Yeah. What's the new thing? Well, let me explain it first. That's why I asked what it we is. Have, we have our Stoke the Fire stories, which are great. Yes. They're all based on prompts. Yes. Sometimes, sometimes we get odd submissions for those prompts. Yes. Meaning like, you know, we get more than we can put together in an episode. Yes. Because we usually do two or three of them. Yes. <laughs> That's my favorite word today. Obviously. But sometimes we have leftovers, though. Indeed we do. So we're introducing table scraps. Mm. We've got orphaned stories that belonged to a prompt, but we never got a partner for them. We do tend to like doing uh, Stoke the Fires with other Stoke the Fires based on the same prompt well, in an episode. Whole, so Yeah, that's the whole point so of it. So to have the table scraps means we're going to have more than one story, but they'll be from different prompts. Mm, and different authors. So this is just going to be a little bit of a mix. It's fun. It's nice. It's very nice. So we've got two stories that were orphaned. So this first story... It was for prompt number five. Something in the bathroom is your character's spiritual leader or confidant. I love that one. I did too. I really loved it. So here you go. Bon appetit. The Wizard's Chamber by Hugh J. O'Donnell. The ritual was not a complex one, but it required certain steps. The celebrant set the bronze bowl reverently in front of the round mirror so that the empty bottom was reflected in the dim light of the tiny chamber. She placed the smooth, round stones in a precise pattern on the bottom. The obsidian and marble formed an intricate set of sigils. She double-checked her work. An error here would be a grave insult. Next, she slowly poured a pitcher of purified water over the stones, careful not to spill a drop or misalign the work she had already done. Around the wide lip of the bowl, her small, delicate, and intricately tattooed hands placed tiny candles. Between them, she laid a trail of fragrant incense. With a few gestures and muttered phrases, the candles lit themselves, giving the tiny space a soft, warm glow and filling it with pungent smoke. She was ready to begin the true spell. She checked the reflection in the mirror. Smoke, stones, flame, and still water were all perfectly reflected in the flawless surface. She read the runes in stone and incense. On this side of the mirror, they were gibberish, 
but their reflections formed a powerful spell. Only one final touch remained. She pulled a pin from her pocket and placed it to her finger. A single bead of blood formed on the tip. I call upon the spirit of Magus Chambliss, the namer of stars, magister of the astral circle. By the power of this mirror, I summon you to appear and grant the wisdom of your soul to your unworthy student, Gloriana. I invoke the right in stone and smoke, fire and water, and my own blood. She let the droplet fall, and it hit the water like dry ice, making the surface froth and steam. There was a blast of cold so fierce it seared like heat, and Glory raised her hand to shield her face. It passed in a moment, and there was a sound in the room like the wind in the branches of a great leafless tree. Then the mirror spoke. For what purpose have you called, Apprentice? The wizard focused all her attention on the reflection in the mirror. As she concentrated, the diverse elements, the rippling water, the smoke, the little flickering candles, all seemed to form a face. It was like a printer's trick in which a nature scene suddenly becomes a herd of horses with a dint of concentration. It was a face she knew well. She looked into the eyes of her master, the great river folk wizard Chambliss, dead three years ago. I seek wisdom, master. She stared into the mirror. If he were living, she would have bowed her head. But any dip in concentration, any wavering of her attention, would dispel the shade, and the smoke would once again just be particles floating in the air. Chambliss laughed, and there was a hollowness to the sound, a faint metallic quality as though he were being broadcast from a very far away place. Which was not altogether untrue. A worthy goal, my apprentice. Ever were you hasty in your pursuits. Talented, yes, but too eager, too busy to sit and listen to the advice of your precedents. I knew you would have need of my advice well beyond my years. Uh, yes, master. Her fellow apprentices had bristled when she was bequeathed the mirror. They were certain it was a sign of her favored status. But Chambliss had never given any praise without a rebuke attached. What knowledge do you seek from beyond the grave? I am studying. Wham, wham, wham. She was interrupted by a pounding on the door. She ignored it. She couldn't break the connection now. I am studying the ruins of Greykeep and think that there may be some hidden secrets still buried there. The spectral face shifted into a thoughtful expression. Greykeep? The site is ancient, but unremarkable, and well visited by both historians and, uh, adventurers. The Magus had not fully approved of his pupil's choice of field work over an academic position. But Glory hadn't attained the power to remake creation itself through the power of her own will to be a teaching assistant. She took the wilder path. Bang, bang, bang! The banging came again, louder and more insistent. Yes, Magus, but in examining the notes of the ill-fated 748 expedition, there is reference to a star rune that was not corroborated elsewhere. Based on maps of the structure, I believe I have located several areas where undiscovered secret rooms may be located. Based on my research, they could very well house artifacts from the period of the Bloody Warlock.
Distantly, she heard shouting. A desperate voice called her name. Interesting. Apprentice, are you all right? I seem to sense some commotion outside the periphery of the spell. It is nothing, Master. My question is this. The attack against the door resumed, and Glory fought to maintain her spell through it. If I were to use... Bang. Location magic. Wham. Such as a psychometric bubble. Slam. The spirit, itself distracted by the noise, seemed to notice the little chamber for the first time. The smoke seemed to waft into the countenance of a frown. Glory, where exactly have you placed my soul mirror? The magician shrugged in embarrassment. Well, master, my current accommodations are somewhat limited, and my partners and I decided that a fine mirror should have a communal use. She laughed nervously. On the other side of the door, she heard Bingo shout again. She couldn't quite hear him, but she thought he was getting his locksmithing tools. Glory gave up. Spirit, I thank thee for your presence and return you to your rest. She made a sharp, cutting gesture with her hands, and the candles went out. Glory, wait, the ghostly Magus said, but he was already fading. She put a finger in the water, and the face dissolved in a cascade of ripples. Working quickly, she stowed her tools in the cabinet under the sink and fished out the stones. She had just finished and thrown the door open when Bingo came back, his tool roll slung over his shoulder. Finally, he said, dropping the bundle on the hall table. What were you doing in there? He sniffed at the incense lingering on the air. Nothing you need to worry about, Bingo Proudfoot, she said indignantly. She huffed her way past him and towards the kitchen. The spell left her feeling drained and hungry. She, he said, opening the shade and letting in weak afternoon sunlight. Glory, of all the girls I've known, I've never seen one take longer in the bathroom than you. He shut and locked the door, never even glancing in the antique mirror that hung over the sink. You got to do Glory again. No, I got to be Glory again. Oh, yeah. Get it right. That story was so much fun. I really like that one. Good one, Hugh. Good one, Hugh. Yeah. And our next story is for prompt number seven. Write a story featuring a member of the podcast crew as a main character. I wasn't chosen this time. Nah, it's me. Bon appetit. The Interview by Scott Roche Gus looked down into the drawer full of implements and nodded. The reflective surfaces shone light from the overhead LEDs back into his eyes. With great care, he chose the tool that he'd need for the interview. It needed to be intimidating, yet subtle. After testing the weight of it in his hand, he slid it into the sheath under his arm. He checked the knot in his maroon tie and nodded. It was time to get the party started. A dozen steps carried him to the door. He could see through the mirrored glass. The interviewee, Donald Roche, according to the CV, had impressive credentials. The organization had done their due diligence, and all of the references checked out. Gus knew that didn't mean a whole lot. New agents should be able to fake that sort of thing as naturally as breathing. He palmed open the door and stepped into the interview space. The table separating them would be suitable for food preparation or autopsy. The stainless steel surface was sterile in more than just its appearance. Two chairs faced each other. Roshan one, 
the other for Gus. The tall man stood. Hello, Mr. Grappin? There was a hesitation after the salutation and before the honorific. When Gus nodded, Roche appeared to deflate a little. He extended a hand. It's a pleasure to meet you. I'm an admirer of your work. Gus looked at the hand as though it had grown an extra digit in the millisecond since it had been extended. Eyes flicked up to meet Roche's hazel irises. Thank you. I don't shake hands. He took a seat opposite and nodded to indicate that Roche could do likewise. Once they were both settled, Gus reached under his arm and pulled out the implement. Roche's eyes widened. That's a beautiful piece of work. Custom, I'm assuming? Without answering, Gus placed it in the middle of the table. Seated as they were, the long-limbed interviewee would have an easier time reaching it. You know why you're here. You know what to do. Roche nodded slightly. His arms were at his sides, hands in his lap. I really hope that I'll... Gus's hand moved like lightning. Fingertips brushed the leather-wrapped handle. A stinging slap hit the web of skin between thumb and forefinger. The blow, light enough to do no damage, prevented him from closing his grip. His offhand came down on top of Roche's grasp, smashing it to the table before it could snatch the implement away. The sound of low grunts of discomfort and the smack of flesh on flesh filled the room for the next handful of seconds. The adversaries worked to be the first to grab the prize between them. Failure wasn't an option as far as either of them was concerned. With a ring of steel on steel, the tool was finally snatched up from its resting place. A dull thud followed a sound not unlike the ripping of paper, and the victor exited the interview room, humming. I choose to believe I am the one that lived. I might have to agree with that. You think I could take on Scott Roche? I think he's too nice to take you down. Mm-hmm. And he might trip over his skirt or something. No, he's just too nice to take you down. Aww. You're mean. Yeah, I am very mean. <laughs> you wouldn't believe it with the baby face and all that and the, the you know, soft voice, but uh-uh. This one's a scrapper. Yeah, I am. A table scrapper. All right, well, she kicks my ass. Let's go to a promo. The most powerful men in the world. The horrors created by mad science. Tentacle monstrosities from beyond the veil. The elder gods themselves. None of these evils can keep a cult consulting detective fresh or St. Clair from the case. Whether his clients come from the high-rises of Manhattan or the depths of the Undercity, Esho won't stop until the case is solved. From the mind of Scott Roche comes the casebook of Esho St. Clair, featuring two complete tales of the fearless detective and his stalwart companions as they face off against the terrors beyond the understanding of normal men. Find out more at www.scottroche.com or look for the casebook of Esho St. Clair at your favorite online booksellers. The master, he commands it. Ass sufficiently kicked? Yes, ma'am. You gonna keep being dumb? Yes, ma'am. 
All right, then. Okay. We have a... (laughs) (laughs) We have a consensus. (laughs) We have an accord. Yes. A gentleman's agreement. Huzzah! I didn't realize either of us were gentlemen. I think I'm more of a gentleman than you are. Sometimes. I look damn good in a suit. I would, too. So there. Shut up. (laughs) You You know what else we look damn good in? Pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell we're sick? Yeah. God, we're so sick. So, Pajamas. So um, let, let's just go to something else that was pre-recorded that we were not sick when we recorded. Here's a mystery meal. Bon appetit. All right. So it's another mystery meal. Mystery meal. It's just us and the cats. Of course. Of course. And their cat door. They're now, we're doing this a little differently. How's that? Well, I'm reading this one. <laughs> it's been long enough since this one was filled out that it's new to me. So I figured I would take one for the team. Either way, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's new to you or not. It's still funny. Yeah. You're still just the one reading it. Yep. Although it is really funny getting Theo's responses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so as always, let you know that these mystery meals are unedited. You're going to hear random stuff. Yeah, like the cat just jingling a second ago. Us laughing, us making dumb comments. I will probably stumble reading. It happens. Yeah. I mean, you've heard me read. Yeah. This excerpt is from To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. Oh, God. This is the scene where Jem and Scout first meet Dill. Oh, dear. That was the summer Dill came to us. Early one morning, as we were beginning our day's play in the line for the Seven Dwarves Mine Train, <laughs> Jim and I heard something next door in Miss Rachel Haverford's deep-fried Mars bar patch. I want to learn to grow those. <laughs> we went to the wire fence to see if there was a giraffe. Miss <laughs> Rachel's rat terrier was expecting. Inst- what? <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we found someone sitting looking at us. Sitting down, he wasn't much higher than a collard's. We stared at him until he spoke. Hey. Hey yourself, said Jem drunkenly. Okay, then. I'm Charles Baker Harris, he said. I can defecate. Good for you, sweetie. (laughs) So what, I said. I just thought you'd like to know I can read. (laughs) You got anything needs reading? I can do it. How old are you, asked Jem. Forty-two. Going on seven. Shoot, no wonder then, said Jim, jerking his pinky toe at me. (laughs) Scout yonder's been reading ever since she was born, and she ain't even started to school yet. You look right vomitous for going on seven. That's mean. I'm little, but I'm creamy, he said. Oh, no, 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 no. Wrong. Bad. Bad word chefs. Bad lexiconosaurs. Bad, 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 bad. Jim brushed his his hair back to get a better look. Why don't you come over, Charles Baker Harris? He said. Bingo. What a name. (laughs) It's not any funnier than yours. Aunt Rachel says your name's Margaret Thatcher. Jim scowled. I'm obscene enough to fit mine, he said. Your name's longer than you are, but it's a foot longer. Folks call me Dill, said Dill, showering under the fence. <laughs> it's a water fence. <laughs> it's called a sprinkler. 
Right. (laughs) Do better if you go over it instead of under it, I said. Where'd you come from? Dill was from White Castle, Mississippi. White Castle! (laughs) I hear they have great burgers. (laughs) Was spending the summer with his aunt, Miss Rachel, and would be spending every summer in the Mall of America from now on. Ooh, lucky kid. (laughs) I know, right? His family was from Macomb County originally. His mother worked for a podiatrist in Meridian, had entered his picture in a sweaty child contest, (laughs) and won $5. (laughs) All she had to do was make him go outside and run for a while. (laughs) Sweaty child contest. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm still not over it. (laughs) Give me a minute here. I need another drink. Had entered his picture into a sweaty child's contest and won. There you are, drink. (laughs) She gave the money to Dill, who went to the picture show 394 times on it. (laughs) Don't have any picture shows here, except Sean Connery ones in the courthouse sometimes, said Jem. Resting. You ever see anything good? Dill had seen Dracula. A revelation that moved Jem to eye him with the beginning of ebullience. <laughs> abula, abula. <laughs> Tell it to us, he said. Dill was a curiosity. He wore blue linen socks that buttoned to his shirt. What? His hair was snow raw umber and stuck to his head like duck fluff. <laughs> he was a year my senior, but I towered over him. As he told us the old tale, his neon pink meniscus would lighten and darken. What? He was a curiosity, remember? That's that's an alien. (laughs) Still's an alien. I like the button socks. His laugh was sudden and scalding. Ah, he went through the water fence. (laughs) He habitually pulled at a cowlick in the center of his bladder. How? And how do they know? (laughs) When Dill reduced Dracula to dust, and Jem said the show sounded better than the book, I asked Dill where his stepsister was. Over there. (laughs) (laughs) You ain't said anything about him. What? I haven't got one. Is he sticky? Is the person who doesn't exist sticky? (laughs) No. Imaginary friend. No. Then if he's not dead, you've got one, haven't you? Dill drooled and Jem told me to hush. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting group of people here. A sure sign that Dill had been studied and found explosive. (laughs) Kaboom, bitches. Thereafter, the billions and billions of years passed in routine contentment. (laughs) Routine contentment? Routine. What is routine contentment? Routine contentment was improving our treehouse that rested between giant twin potted petunias in the backyard. <laughs> Feed me, Seymour. Uh, fussing, running through our list of dramas based on the works of T. Morris, Keith Hughes, and Wilkie Collins. All right, then. In this matter, we were lucky to have Dill. He played the character parts formerly thrust upon me. The pot-bellied pig and Tarzan. <laughs> Mr. Crabtree and the Rover Boys. Mr. Damon in Star Trek IV. <laughs> Thus we came to know Dill as a pocket Merlin, whose head se- teemed with eccentric dust bunnies, strange droids, 
and quaint fancies. These are not the droids you were looking for. But by the end of August, our repertoire was moist from countless reproductions. Moist. You hear that, Tealy? Moist. And it was then that Dill gave us the idea of making Boo Radley splooge. Oh! <laughs> oh! Mm-mm. you missed Wrong. out on that one. Wrong! Wrong! Bad! So many levels! <laughs> Sweaty child contest. Creamy! Splooge! <laughs> no! Li- I'm little, but I'm creamy. <laughs> Is this really how I'm going to spend my time when my kids go to bed? Really? Uh, making Boo Radley splooge? No! <laughs> I don't like you anymore. Keep your eyes open on our Facebook and Twitter feeds for the next time we're asking for, you know, parts of speech to fill these in, guys, because these are great. Moist. Hey, Aaron. Are we back? Uh-huh. Can I go to, can I go to sleep now? No. Please. No. What else do we need to do? Be more enthusiastic about our podcast? I am very enthusiastic about the podcast. You say with bleary eyes. I don't have a noisemaker right now, or else I would fully demonstrate how enthusiastic I am about the podcast. Clicky, clicky. I don't have that either. Oh, okay. I do, though, have our prompts. Ooh, fancy. Yes, I do. You may have the prompts, but I'm going to tell them what one of them is. Oh, fine. Be that way. Prompt number 10 is an animal from outside your local ecosystem has entered nature and is breeding uncontrollably. That is so much fun. Yes. Send us stuff. We're not to that part yet. And prompt number 11. The empanadas you just took out of the oven exploded, and something alive is emerging. That could also be fun. Send us stuff. Yeah. Um, But along with sending us stuff, you can write us a review. Go on to iTunes. Just plunk down, you know, a couple stars. Five. <clears throat> Pardon me. I'm sorry. What? What was that? You sounded like you said something there. Five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just you know, whatever's fair. Five. Five. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, just head on to iTunes. Plunk down five stars. Plank. Is yes. it plunk or is it plank? It's both. Are you plunking or planking? I'm, I'm Don't start planking. Plink. Plink. Yeah. Oh, plunk, plank, and plank. Uh huh. Don't plonk them. That's just dirty. <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, give us some stars, write some nice words. That would really help us out. Boost our visibility. Yeah. Speaking of giving us a boost, there's our Patreon. You should do it. Our Patreon helps make the podcast happen. It, it really does. It makes things go. It does. It's not cheap to produce a podcast in money or time. So go to Patreon. Give us, you know, a monthly or episode, episodic, episodically, whatever that adjective, that adverb is. I don't know words anymore. I should go to sleep. Oh, medicine. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Benadryl's great. So is Alka-Seltzer. Yeah. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Exactly. All right. There's our commercial. Anyway, our Patreon. Um, You know, pledge, you know, as little as $1 an episode, and you get some swag. Some nice swag. Some nice swag. Donate a little bit more, you get to be part of the show. We have a lot of different backer levels, so it's, it's Go helpful. Go check it out. Yeah. And also, check out our swag shop. Not the same swag from the podcast. No. No, the, this is... You know, Patreon. It's different swag. Um, speaking of that, you know, URLs. Patreon. Patreon.com slash AFGrappin. That's me. 
and our swag shop is at shop.spreadshirt.com slash the melting podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Works for me. <laughs> um, keep in mind, our call for submissions is still open. If you've got a short story up to 5,000 words, it doesn't have to be based off one of our prompts. We need stuff. We need stuff. And we need Stoke the Fires, which is why we gave you those prompts earlier. Stoke the Fires are part of the stuff. Yeah. Send up to 1,500 words on those. Send us stuff. Send us lots of stuff. Oh, and by the way, happy belated Halloween. Uh, happy Yay, belated November 1st. Well, happy belated birthday to you. I know. Thank you very much. If Bless. you had been born one day later, we would always have episodes on your birthday, too, just like we do with mine. Well, that would add just way too much awesome to the podcast. I mean, we've already got one of us with a birthday on a podcast release day. If we did both, the world would just explode in awesome. That's true. Yeah. That's very true. But yeah, so last year of my 20s. <laughs> Better make it a good one, yeah. huh? Yeah, Aaron's 29. Yep. I'm I'm not. You're old. Shut up. <laughs> I'm the baby, I know. But I have the baby face. I have the actual baby. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, we're sick and medicated. Yeah, we need to go to bed. But thanks for putting up with us. We love you. We love you a lot. Send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it, as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Richcreek. Send us stuff!